You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. You're not here. We're not there. The car exploded. Come get the girls. I have to stay here with Woodrow. I'm not the chauffeur. I'm the grandfather. Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. Last Junior stargazers and space cadets. Each year, we celebrate Asteroid Day, commemorating September 23rd, 3007 B.C., when the arid plains meteorite made Earth impact. Toledo. That's Mitch You're very good in the one about the tramp in the brothel Thank who you. gets amnesia and Thank becomes you. a pediatrician. You were very awesome. Actually, maybe my favorite character ever. I don't know why nobody else liked it. Oh. What do those pulses indicate? What? Oh, the beeps and blips? We don't know. Some of our information about outer space may no longer be completely accurate. Anyway, there's still only nine planets in the solar system as far as we know, Billy. Except now there's an alien. What's happening now? I don't know. I don't like the way that guy looked at us. The alien. How did you... How did look? Like we're doomed. Maybe we are. I've just informed the president. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City legally? The world will never be the same. That's an alien doing Jeffy Jacks. That's an alien in a top hat. What's out there? The meaning of life. Maybe there is one. Are you married? I'm a widower. But don't tell my kids. You're saying our mother died three weeks ago. Let's say she's in heaven. Which doesn't exist for me, of course, but you're Episcopalian. In my loneliness, I've learned to give complete and unquestioning faith to the people I love. I don't know if that includes you, but it included my daughter and your four children. Sometimes I think I feel more at home outside the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, wow. Me too. They're strange, aren't they? They're children. Compared to normal people. Yes, that's correct. It's true. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. Freight train, freight train. Going so fast, I don't... I do a nude scene. You want to see it? Huh? Did I say yes? You didn't say anything. Uh, I meant yes. My, my mouth didn't speak. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode. That's right, folks. We are here, and we are going back to the movies, and we are looking at the new movie by Wes Anderson. That's right. We are looking at Asteroid City. There should be an echo effect. Boom, 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 boom for the dramatic and everything. It was interesting. This movie was not at all what I was expecting it to be. And as most West Anderson films usually are, and it was loaded with different celebrities, different actors, different characters and everything all in this little desert town. I'm using air quotes for desert town. So it was going to be, it's a lot of fun to do. And if you have not seen it yet, we are going to spoil the heck out of this movie review. So we all four of us have seen it. So we are going to jump in with both feet. Of course, let's say, Hey, to Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. How are you this week, sir? I am peachy keen. And Matt Sweatman is here. Hi, everybody. And Ashley Pauls. 
Hello. You ready to talk a little bit of, you know, a play inside of a movie inside of a <laughs> little bit of an more of an inception tie-in than I was expecting here. <laughs> exactly. It was very surreal. So it was awesome. And I think this is going to be a ton of fun to talk about tonight. And, you know, let's jump in with both feet. Mr. Mike, take it away. Well, we uh, like to start with the box office numbers. And, uh, of course, a Wes Sanderson movie, uh, I don't know if the box office really matters. Um, but uh, no, not at all. For the, for the sake of, uh, you know, tradition, we will cover it. Um, now, uh, Asteroid City had a limited release a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, it made about, it didn't even make like half a million, well, a little bit under a million dollars. So, uh, you know, but that was six theaters. So last weekend it opened wide. And so of course, from week one to week two, there was over a hundred percent like increase <laughs> in numbers. As we've talked about before, the numbers this summer, this summer, everything is underperforming. However, uh, Asteroid City, I don't think you could put in that category because it is actually the highest opening ever for a Wes Anderson movie. That's awesome. Oh, that is so. So it made ten point two million dollars so far, uh, six point five in other territories, and uh, so worldwide gross of sixteen point seven. Now that seems small compared to all the other movies that we usually cover, right? <laughs> uh, that's like that's yeah, that's an afternoon for like Spider Man or for Marvel, right, or Disney, right? Uh, but for Wes Anderson. It's it's not too shabby. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, normally movies like this are re released in the fall, you know, because they have Oscar consideration. Um, although a lot of studios like to take chance on counter programming during the summer. People are so tired of blockbusters. Let's give them something else uh, and maybe that'll work. I think the fact that this movie has science fiction overtones, maybe... Uh, they thought they might get away with it, putting it in the summer. Uh, people would be like, oh, well, I need to see that. I do wonder how many people who have seen this movie or are curious about this movie have ever seen a Wes Anderson movie before. So uh, with the cast included, it is huge. And it is something that gets everybody's attention for sure, as you mentioned, Mike. Um, now, Ashley, I, I think um, I think we've. You've gone on record saying you have not seen a Wes Anderson movie before, right? This was my first Wes Anderson movie ever. All right. So what did you heard? Did you expect anything going into this movie? Yeah. So I was a little bit surprised when I realized I hadn't seen a Wes Anderson movie because I knew of him. I feel like the word that would best describe what I've heard about him is quirky, if that's kind of a fair way to put it. Mm -hmm. I knew he... He was a director with a distinctive style, just like you when you're watching a Quentin Tarantino movie, you can tell before even watching the credits. So I imagine having watched this movie, if his movies, other movies are similar, this is going to be a movie that, you know, right away, this belongs to a specific director. This is their vision and um, their perspective that you're seeing on screen. Gotcha. Uh, Matt, what about you? Are you a Wes Anderson fan? Have you seen many of his other movies? Not so much. This is the first one I saw in a theater. I have seen three of his previous movies at home before. Um, and it is interesting because it does feel like that he's building on styles and things he learned in previous films. So I don't know that this is necessarily the best starter Wes Anderson movie. Um, but uh, 
I didn't want to see it in a theater. Uh, I was intrigued by it, and uh, I am glad I did. I don't know if it's, well, we'll get into details in a minute, but it's it's definitely in the love it or hate it category, I think. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, actually, there, Matt, because yeah. it's interesting because it's not everybody's cup of tea, his directing, mm-hmm. his you know stories and such. Sometimes the stories make you very uncomfortable with some of the stuff, like what he did with Rushmore or what he's done with like Life Aquatic or even, you know, he he even did an animated film a couple of years ago, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And it was awesome because it was all stop motion animation. And it was really, really cool to see. But, you know, a lot of people also know him for the Grand Budapest Hotel because of the nominations it got for Academy Awards and everything. Yeah. So that's the first time he was nominated for those kind of the big stuff. And have you seen all those movies, Mike? Oh yeah. We even watched Isle of Dogs recently, you know, cause Judy was like, what dog movie? We've got to watch that movie. That's animated as well, right? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And it's neat cause it's not a classic style either. Just like his regular movies aren't the animation styles he used is mm-hmm. not very is not very traditional so it's really cool to see the films and it's it's just the way he does things his his doing the story and then like you said mike earlier you know this had a bent towards sci-fi asteroid city you know and everything so it, it caught a lot of people like oh that's pretty awesome and everything yeah. um i will say though i didn't really enjoy his last movie the french dispatch all that much Gotcha. It was, I actually, I think I fell asleep during halfway through it and I was watching on cable. So. The, uh, the last, I won't, this is only the second, maybe the second Wes Wes Anderson movie I've seen. Oh, really? Uh, I thought I'd seen Rushmore, but the more I think about it, the more I, I I don't think I have. Um, But the last movie I saw of Wes Anderson's that I know I saw, I did see in the theater because I saw World of Tenenbaums when it came out uh, initially as well. And uh, I don't hate his stuff. I don't, it's not, doesn't even off put, it's not even off putting me. And he's, I mean, he hasn't made a lot of movies. He's made 11, uh, I think features. This is his 11th feature film. Um, so it's not like he's got a huge resume out there, um, but he's got a distinct style. Um, I don't, it's not something that really, really strongly attracts me, but it's one of those ones that I always like when it comes out, I'm like, Oh, wait, I'll see that eventually. And it just never, I never get around to seeing it. Um, one of the things that's normally, uh, one of the things, one of the people I should say that's normally associated with Wes Anderson, in fact, has been since his second movie is Bill Murray. And, uh, this is the first movie since then, since his first movie that he did, Bottle Rocket, that Bill Murray is not in. And actually, Bill Murray was supposed to be in this movie, but because of COVID, uh, he could not, he was not able to shoot the movie when it was scheduled and had to be replaced by Steve Carell. Okay. So, um, that makes sense. I was about to ask what character. Which, which character? Yeah, yeah, he was supposed to be, uh, uh, Steve Carell's character. And you know what? Watching this movie, watching Steve Carell, I had no, I mean, it didn't feel like a non-Steve uh, Carell part. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's perfect. It's not the first time Steve Carell's replaced Bill Murray before. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine, he was supposed to be in there. Uh, it, I mean, he was supposed to be in that. Bill Murray was, and Steve Carell took over for him. 
Um, but that wasn't done by Wes Anderson, and that's a that's a tangent. That's what we call a tangent. And maybe Wes Anderson would approve. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> in any case, Ashley, let's get back to you. So, not knowing much about Wes Anderson except for that he was quirky, how did you feel coming out of the movie? Yeah, this is one where I wish that this necessarily hadn't been my first experience. Like, I wish I had gotten the chance to see some more of his filmography before going to see it. But sometimes life interferes, and as geeks, we do what we can. So um, I walked into this pretty much cold. I'm still kind of working through how I feel about it. I don't know that it was necessarily like my personal cup of tea, but yeah, I feel very glad that I went to see it just to get exposure to a different film style and then to go see a movie and support a movie that was not a blockbuster. I was impressed. Like the theater I felt was decently full. Um, and it had a different vibe than when I'm normally going to see like the Marvel movie or DC movie. So I think that this movie speaks to some different audiences. And so I feel like it was valuable for me as a fan of film and interested in the art form to go see this and experience it. And, um, but it, it was a lot to take in. I was not necessarily expecting the play, like the play within the movie. And it was an interesting story, story telling style, because usually I like narratives where you get so engrossed in the story and the characters in the setting where you forget you're watching a movie, you're just experiencing the story. And yet with this, I was always reminded that I was watching a movie. I'm watching a story play out. And again, not necessarily good or bad either way. It was, it just took some getting used to. So yeah, this, it was interesting to encounter this kind of style for the first time. And I feel like I will need to see several more of his movies before I come to like a a fully coalesced understanding of how I feel about Wes Anderson as a director. Let me ask you this. Do you, are are you put off by, are you interested in seeing more Wes Anderson movies now? You know, I, my curiosity, yes. I would like to see a couple more, probably like the Grand Budapest Hotel, just because that one I feel like is one of his better known ones. And then one of his animated ones, like the Fantastic Mr. Fox or Isle of Dogs to just get a little bit of diversity within his style. Hmm. And and I think uh, both of you mentioned it, and I think I was thinking about it as well. And yeah, I think technically it is a play within a TV special within a oh, movie. You're right. Yes, I forgot about the TV <laughs> like, special like, element. Like, <laughs> like I, uh, yes, I was very surprised to see uh, you know it start the way it started with uh, you know a very much a '60s uh, TV format. Um, of course, most of us are familiar with Twilight Zone, I think, more than anything else. But, I mean, that was pretty common back then. They had a lot of, like, playhouse uh, theater-type uh, specials that they did or series that they did back they, back then. So uh, this is very much in line with that. But, um, yes. and the early were... era of television and everything, and it, it fit right into it. And it was wonderful. And seeing Brian Cranston up there, it was just like, Whoa, it's like, okay, this is gonna be interesting. And there were many moments where throughout the the play, throughout the TV special, throughout the movie, where you were taken out of it, as you said, Ashley, because somebody, you know, was was talking to somebody else out of character, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And and yeah, I mean he throws that in uh every once in a while. It's seemingly at random. Uh, but yet I don't know if we can say that it's at random. Obviously, that 
requires more analysis, I think, but then maybe we have time for today. But uh, Matt, what did what did you feel about Asteroid City uh, watching this one? Um, like everybody else, I was surprised. I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting exactly this. Uh, I wasn't expecting the play. That part was kept very well hidden. I think that's to its betterment. Um, but I also found it to be a good change of pace film. Um, we talk about uh, superhero fatigue. I think this is a good movie to break that tedium or that blockbuster tedium. Um, I saw it on a Saturday morning, late morning matinee, uh, and it was in one of their smaller theaters. I mean, maybe like six rows <laughs> and, um, but it was, it was about halfway full and for a Saturday morning, halfway full theater, I don't think it's too bad, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so I looked at his catalog, uh, almost every one of his early films up to his last two or three are available in the criterion on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I, I put them all something over- right there, doesn't it? Uh, yes, he's he's definitely what you would call an auteur, uh, which Criterion definitely likes certain directors, and he's clearly one of them. Um, so I put them all on my wish list, and I think over time I want to try to collect some of them because I like uh, learning the background. I like all the special features they have on the Criterion disc. So I can see myself over the next few years really checking out a number of his other films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw it, uh, as we were recording this on Monday, I saw it in the morning, uh, the morning show. And, uh, I, it was funny because when I looked last night, there were no tickets sold, (laughs) but when I showed up at the theater, you know, it was like you said, man, it was one of the smaller theaters. I think there was only about 10 rows. Um, so maybe a hundred people could sit in their tops. Um, but there was about uh, 20 of us, I think. On a Monday morning, I don't usually see that, even for blockbusters. So I was very surprised, actually. Uh, Mike, what uh, what did you feel about the the movie itself? The movie itself it it was fun. It was quirky, and I love quirky films. You know, going back to you know growing up and everything with my grandfather, you know, showing me a lot of the old nineteen thirties, nineteen twenties silent films and. Going into classic era Hollywood and everything, I've always loved the quirky movies, even stuff like, you know, growing up, you you know, Some Like It Hot is considered a fairly quirky movie or Mad, Mad, Mad World, you know, was a very quirky type film. And then going into the 80s, you know, a little bit more of the avant-garde, like David Byrne did a a film called True Stories and, you know, stuff like that. And it was it was interesting because I like Wes Anderson. I love the Coen brothers. I love, you know, movie people who take chances and you, every film they do is completely different. Wes Anderson spells that out completely. David Lynch spells that out completely, you know, act directors like that and film creators. And cause I consider them true artists and they put it out on what they do into a media that is interesting and they are not afraid to take chances. And so with this, it was real interesting. I was thrown like the same way everybody else was like surprised by, wait a minute, this is a movie about the filming of a television 
drama that was actually a play. And, you know, everything with that was just awesome. It was just great with that. I loved it. I loved how they introduced even all the actors at the beginning of the film. And, you know, it's like, and this person will be playing this and this, you know, and everything. And then I even like getting into the improv cl acting classes that they were taking. And, you know, how do you, you know, what do you, what do you like when you wake up from a deep sleep? And that was, that was such a powerful scene actually and everything. And I loved everyone who got it were the ones who were actually in the play. And so it was, it was just a neat story. The movie was entertaining. Is it my favorite Wes Anderson film? No, no. I think that's probably either going to Rushmore or Grand Budapest Hotel is probably those two or two of my favorite. And then Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs is just weird, but that's a whole different story. But, um, <laughs> but it was, I just love a lot of the stuff he does. And this has his fingerprints all over it. So many isms and everything. And they kept, I loved, you know, they did it in different acts as a play. And I loved, I loved all that and everything. And the cast, God, the cast was just amazing in this. You know, it's like every scene when somebody new showed up. Oh, wait, I know that person. Oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's so-and-so. And it's funny because like the Coen brothers or some Quentin Tarantino and such, they have the regulars they use. And, you know, Jason Schwartzman. I didn't even recognize Jason Schwartzman with the beard and the hair. And everything at first. And then it was like, wait a minute, is that Schwartzman? Yeah, because he has the moles on his face, you know. And it's like, yep, that's Schwartzman. And, you know, Tom Hanks and, you know, just everyone in this was just, you know, Scarlett Johansson was amazing in this movie. And it was just, it was so much fun to just watch this and see, you know, what was coming next. And just, I loved how they described the scene, you know, the opening scene. And then they went into color because it was nice because present day or 19 in the 1950s was all black and white, but the play itself was all in color. And that was just awesome. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, I, I had a fun time with this as well. And, uh, you know, when I was coming up, uh, bands so many moons ago, uh, uh, back in the day, I, I, I really, uh, connected with young filmmakers that were independent and really trying to uh stand out make a make a, their a name for themselves american directors uh canadian directors adam agoyan uh i mean david lynch obviously is probably one of the most well-known ones uh but um uh jim jarmusch was another one these are all like these uh, for some reason in the in the late 80s early 90s a lot of there was like a boon of these guys and i think that uh, Wes Anderson kind of comes from that kind of school of thought or film school of thought, if you will. Um, and uh, I, I like the fact that this is not like anything else I've seen this year or in a while. Uh, so it's got a unique look. Uh, the color sequences, well, everything is shot really well. The cinematography, I think, is really sharp and 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 eye-catching in this. Every shot is looks beautiful every shot looks like a like you could hang it up on your wall um the the aesthetic of uh, asteroid city itself the town 
I mean, it is sort of refreshing not to see something, not to go and see something that's completely like CG, right? Like, like this is all like, I mean, maybe they use sudden to touch up something here or there, but pretty much what you, what they filmed is yeah, what you see is what they filmed. Right? The only thing I think that was really CGI'd in this was the alien and this coming out of the uh, spaceship. I don't even know if that was CG. I mean, it looked stop motion to me, and I don't know if it was real stop motion uh, or if it was. Uh, but between that and the uh, puppet uh, Roadrunner, um, which I, I loved, awesome. <laughs> I know, right? I was fully um, expecting a coyote to come out of come after it at the end. But I think more importantly than the look of it is the fact that what Wes Anderson provides both the viewers and the people participating in the movies, like the actors and whatnot, um, real unique opportunities to do something different with their craft. And it is a more theatrical, like actual theater aesthetic than it is a film aesthetic. Like there's long takes, there are shots of uh, people talking, there's no cuts, there's no fast like action between them. It's just two people talking uh, as you would see in a play. And so you would imagine that these, this is something that has to be rehearsed over and over again with the actors. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, you, you constantly see actually probably since Rushmore, um, Wes Anderson, although, like you said, Mike, he does have his regulars that he, he likes to use, uh, Bill Murray, probably the biggest one, but also, um, he has people that he uses that are solid actors at their craft. But then it also attracts like so many names. Uh, as you mentioned, Scarlett Johansson, Jeffrey Wright, Hilda Swenson, Brian Cranston, Adrian Brody, Edward Norton, uh, Lee Schreiber. I mean, that's just to name a few, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Margot Robbie pops up in a, in a brief scene in this. Uh, even Jeff Goldblum and, you're, and William Defoe. And you're just like, wow, look at, I mean, the list of people that are in this is amazing. If this was a Marvel movie, it would cost a billion dollars just to get all those names in it, right? <laughs> and yet, this movie was made for $25 million. This is a, these are movies that actors like Scarlett Johansson is willing to take a pay cut for to do. Uh, Tom Hanks probably didn't get his normal pay rate for this. Um, uh, otherwise, it would have doubled the budget, <laughs> probably, right? So... Uh, what do you think about that, Ashley? Like, this is your first time viewing one of these films like this. What do you think it is about these movie or this movie in particular, but this type of movie that attracts actors like this? Yeah, well, I think um, as a performer, you know, some of these other actors that we've seen have been in big franchises. And it's amazing what CGI is able to accomplish with, like, all the background and setting. But I imagine as an actor, it would be fun to be able to go to a set where you're actually in the setting, you have the buildings, you're in costume. So it just feels very real. You're living in this moment as an actor instead of just in front of a green screen. And I imagine it's also fun to work with somebody who has such a distinctive style. Like this is someone who's out to produce a piece of art to tell a story that's not necessarily about how much box office you're going to get at the end of the day. So I imagine it's maybe a nice like creative palette cleanser 
and just a chance, like we've been saying, to do something different and to work with other famous actors, like like you mentioned, to get all these people in an action movie would be ridiculously expensive. But they they all want to work with this director, and so they it's probably fun to be able to play off these different other famous faces that they may not have gotten to be in a movie otherwise. Yeah, I do wonder if sometimes they, they and I'm sure Wes Anderson and those the people are I can sift these out, but I'm sure that you know the then some of the actors would look at this as being like their way to get street cred or yeah. the way to justify themselves so they don't feel like they've sold out their soul to like major corporation CGI blockbusters, right? Right, yeah. Like <laughs> as much as I love Disney movies and everything, it probably feels good as an actor to do something that's mm-hmm. not just like big branding and things like that. Like there might be a little more creative freedom to like interpret a character versus with Scarlett Johansson is probably locked in with what like the MCU has said about a character, you have to keep with um, what's going to happen to the character in future films. But where here you might have a little more freedom to bring some of your own personality and perspective to the performance. Well, a lot of times, like with filmmakers like this, the actors actually feel like they're going back to their roots. Yeah. Ways. And so yeah. they're able to connect with what oh, they really exactly. like got involved yeah. with, why they got involved with acting to begin with, exactly. not just to make money and lots of it, right. but to actually just, act exactly hone their their trait as i like to say and absolutely and you could totally see it in this film let me ask you this and and mike i'll start with you on this one um was there any actor performance in this that you that surprised you that you were like oh my goodness i didn't know that that person was capable of this kind of work um no because i i know pretty much everyone who was in this film, you know, the kids, or maybe, maybe put it like this the way. Kids really impressed me in this film. The actors who were, you know, playing the, the children mm-hmm. were in the science fair and everything like that. Um, I also liked, oh, what's her name? She's, uh, she's, um, da, 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 da. Hawk is her last name. Um, she's in stranger things. The one who plays the teacher. My Hawk. Yeah. She impressed me. She actually really impressed me as the teacher. And that was kind of interesting. Um, She was, for me, she was the big surprise in this, you know, because all I've seen her in is either as an extra in Tales from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or we saw her in Stranger Things. But that's the only two things I've seen her in. And so seeing her play a pretty major character as the teacher I thought that was pretty awesome. And, you know, she had how she had to deal with the kids, had to deal with the situation. And, you know, and just like, and, you know, she didn't look like she was somebody who liked being out of her element. And she handled that really, really well. And, but she was the proper 1950s teacher, you know, in, including having all the planets drawn out on the chalkboard, showing the mm-hmm. orbits and showing how long it takes for each planet to get across go around the sun and everything it was just it was it was fun it was her character i think was my big surprise yeah absolutely i i i concur with that i i was impressed with her as well i i only knew her from stranger things and uh this was fun to see that she could she could hang with you know tom hanks and jason schwartzman and all them in this Mm -hmm. movie um and and seemed to fit right in seemed to fit that aesthetic uh, and her character had a lot to do. I mean, she was, 
she's at first we introduced to her she's just a, we just think she's a chaperone or a teacher of uh of a, a bunch of little kids but then we find out that you know she's having a hard time coming to grips with the alien incident herself she doesn't know how to but she has to try to take care of the kids and so she's trying to do business as usual she dare i say finds love in asteroid city uh i i think i think you could say that she does right yep um certainly that that uh that opportunity is there um and so she really has a lot to do in this and i and i was happy to see that i thought she was great in it so uh matt what about you is there some performance that surprised you or that you really appreciated in this uh quite a few uh like Mike said, all the kid actors were amazing. And if anything, if there was any regular character, I'd have to think it was Schwartzman's son. Um, mm. A lot, a lot of focus on him, and I thought he was brilliant both as the son and as the actor playing the son in the bits from the the documentary. Um, I did hear from a, a, an interview with Brian Cranston that everyone gets paid the same on a Wes Anderson film. So all these big name actors are all making the same amount. They, they don't have their individual trailers. They all stay at the same hotel. They all eat at the same hotel. And so it, it really, I think makes it very much a repertory. It is very mm-hmm. much like a theater troupe. Uh, they all get together. They have their production, their, their run of this play, so to speak. And, um, and I think it comes through because there's there's no selfish acting. There's no prima donnas on this set. Everybody is happy with their role and everybody has a very juicy small role and they all work off each other. So that's what I took fr- from this. And that's why I'm fascinated with seeing more of his other films, because if you look through the names of a Wes Anderson film, a lot of the names keep popping up. Right. And um, and uh, so I want to see how they play it like, uh, the Aquatic Life is one that I missed first time around. I'm anxious to see. Uh, Budapest is certainly one I would love to see. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really, I think the kid actors, to me, the scenes where they had all five of them together and they were sort of commiserating their own thing, I think were some of the highlights of the movie to me. I love the yeah. games they were playing and everything together. I, I really did like the junior stargazers, uh, whenever they got together, whenever they showed scenes with them. Uh, I wasn't mm-hmm. familiar, I don't think, with, uh, any of the actors. And yet I, I fell right into their group and I, I really felt what they were going through. And, uh, I thought they were good. They kind of, they kind of disappear in the third act a little bit, but, um, but I, I really enjoy, I, I was like, man, I could just watch these kids all the whole movie um if it was centered on them you know um uh but uh yeah it's interesting too you know they do get uh they all get you know scale or get paid the same uh i do think and and i hate to be like you know uh that guy but um you know an actor could use this as an opportunity to to uh expand their career into other opportunities that would come along like like we're, you know, Mike and I were talking about uh, Maya Hawk. You know, if everybody knows her from Stranger Things, she's kind of put in that box. You see her in Asteroid City, and you're like, oh, she's capable of a lot more, and that's good for her career. So even though she's only getting, you know, a certain amount of money for this, uh, this could lead to a lot more opportunities for her because people have seen her do something that they didn't they didn't know she could do. You know, and I think that other actors have that opportunity as well. 
Um, I know that uh, some a couple actors that you're familiar with, Ashley, Tom Hanks uh, in particular. What do you think of him in this movie? Yeah, well, I it's always a pleasure to see uh, Tom Hanks. He I don't I've never met him, but he always seems like he's the nicest guy in Hollywood. So it was kind of fun to see him play a sort of grumpy grandpa who is dragged out to the desert here. Um, I did enjoy his performance. Um, like the others have said, I enjoyed the junior stargazers. They were a highlight. I also enjoyed seeing Jeffrey Wright. He's always wonderful, but it was kind of fun seeing him in this uh, comedic role. And just I thought his timing was really good, how he played the character straight, but yet the things that he said and did ended up being funny. So I just thought he he handled that really well, and he was a memorable character for me. Yeah, this is not the first uh, or most recent movie you've seen with Tom Hanks being a grumpy old guy, right? Yes, yeah. I I felt like seeing um, a man called Otto, uh, like this was a good primer. So it's like, yep, I, I know this side of Tom Hanks. So that's are you, true. I mean, Tom is one of those guys that's just a huge name now, a huge presence. Does it, I mean, it, it could, in some cases, you could th- say like this, It's he's too big for a, mo- a small movie like this. Like, he overshadows like whenever he's on the screen, you know, it's you just think it's Tom Hanks, it's Tom Hanks, it's Tom Hanks. I found it pretty easy to 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 erase the the star from the character in this. I thought he did a really good job and the director did a really good job honing him down so that he didn't overshadow the rest of the cast. I felt that too like you're always aware like oh this is Tom Hanks but yet he didn't feel out of place. It felt like oh this he's a good fit for this character this character makes sense within the story yeah and and i thought it was i i understand that the role that uh that scarlett johansson plays that wes anderson wrote specifically for it with her in mind interesting and i think it was uh, smart to to give her a role where again she's one of those person personas that could overshadow another cast or whatever but because she's playing a a, a big actress a well-known actress, it kind of diffuses that or plays into that a little bit. Um, and I'm continuing to be impressed by uh, her abilities, her comic timing, uh, her acting skills. Uh, Mike, what did you think about Scarlett in this movie? Oh, I loved it. it she, she played the character really, really well. And I loved how, you know, she was an actress acting as an actress in the film but also had to be a mother in the film in the play and everything and i thought she handled it very very well i love the flirting outside the windows between the two cabins those those scenes were really cool where they're just in the windows uh, next to each other talking i love those scenes and it was great like the scene where she was acting you know the suicide scene and I thought, oh my God, did the character actually commit suicide? And, and he, he was like, and it was just like, it was, it was just really, really well done. And then when Tom Hanks went to go introduce himself and everything, you could see she was like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I want to talk to the guy over in the, your, you know, ex son in law or whatever. And it was just, it was, it was really well done with that. And, I enjoyed that part and there was some, a lot of good with her character and everything. And I love the, 
you know how they kept on talking about oh for nudity and everything they do a body double they did the flash of the body double for the nude scene and everything and it was just like it was just awesome Interestingly enough, I was reading online uh, about that, and supposedly Scarlett did that. She uh, she had no problem, she said, doing the full frontal scene. Uh, it was actually Wes Anderson that was really, really nervous about it and really shy about it. Um, but yeah, you're right. My first thought was like, oh, that's they're using a body double. That's kind of funny. Uh, although I was like, in some ways, I was kind of like, is this necessary for this movie? Um, it seemed kind of an odd thing to put in the movie. I didn't think so. I thought it was actually very well. It was actually very classy. It was very, very well done. Oh, yeah. I don't feel it was gratuitous. No, it wasn't gratuitous at all. But it was just, I thought it was just awesome because she kept on saying, Oh, do you want to see, you know, do you want to see me naked? You know, to the guy, you know, to the photographer. It's like, did, did I say yes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I was thinking it. Yes, yes, yes. And it, it was just, it was just really well done with that. But also it just showed like with her character because they kept on, it made you guess if it was her or if it was a body double. Because when they showed the the naked scene, it was from the neck down and it was like oh it, it has to be a body double but then i read it same thing as you it's like oh that was her so it's like i'm sure it'll be all over the internet when the video comes out you know oh yeah yeah it's gonna be paused and 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 posted and all that kind of stuff so that's unfortunate but that's and that's that's the that's, that's another reason why it's kind of like you know why do you why do you do that? But then maybe Scarlett and Wes said, maybe that gets us some more eyes on the movie. Maybe. That's not maybe, a bad way you know? to think. Yeah. Uh, what's something else about the movie, Matt, that uh, resonated with you? Or didn't? Um, well, I've always a sucker for the whole alien, um, you know, Roswell, New Mexico, the whole something about aliens and the in the Southwest of the U S as, as a thing. And that's what attracted me to go see this movie. Um, the, the idea of the nuclear cloud quite literally looming in the background. <laughs> uh, so you have that image as well played into it. Um, uh, so the, the setting uh, was something that attracted, attracted me. Um, even though, Ultimately, I guess it was more about making the play of it than it was that, if you really think about it. But uh, the the scene in the crater where they gave out the awards and we had our visitation, the first of the two visitations, was so odd, humorous, creepy. Um, it was just... It, 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 it was hard to describe how you felt watching it. You never know second to second where that scene was going, except I had a moment. I said, he's going to take the asteroid. He's going to reach in the, <laughs> he reaches in the box and takes the asteroid. So, okay. What's the purpose of it? I'm wondering why did he take the asteroid? I don't know that we ever got a, an answer. He did return it with some writing on it. He categorized uh, it, or what was it? Catalog inventory. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. That's right. That was the explanation they gave. Um, but that was just a guess. Well, we don't know. But the way they presented, I think it's supposed to be kind of definitive, at least definitive for the purposes of the play. Um, because I think it it's sort of just the absurdity of it, 
And that's where I think they might have used some of his stop motion animation that he learned in Fantastic Mr. Fox and uh, Isle of Dogs. I think he used some of that some of that filmmaking technique in those scenes because they barely they, they were shot very similar to that. Um, and also oh, earlier when we mentioned performances, I, I I failed to mention the three little girls, the witchy little girls. <laughs> they they stole the movie, and I can't wait for my wife Elaine to see it because I know she will really take to those three little girls, and uh, and they they stole every scene they were in. And, oh, the um, screaming when at the grandfather <laughs> when they tried to pick up you know the mother's yeah. ashes. In the Tupperware. Yeah. In the Tupperware yes. jar. You know, normally that would be so odd, but it just seemed to fit so this movie. So that's the aesthetic and everything. It's like, yeah, this movie yeah. has Tupperware written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, the ashes are in a Tupperware bowl. Yeah. Sealed. With a little burp. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and I... I think, yes, thanks for bringing that up, too, because, yes, I mean, ultimately, the story does involve alien, alien contact, uh, close encounters, Wes Anderson style. Um, and uh, and that was appealing to me as well. I what I found really interesting is that um, I I I kind of really and I haven't really put a too much thought into this. But when I came out of it and I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, I think. I think Wes Anderson just used uh uh like a you know close encounter incident to be a sort of parallel or metaphor for what we experienced quarantine in the pandemic. Oh, very all these so. people come together and they couldn't go anywhere and they were stuck together and et cetera, et cetera. And uh and 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 what, you know, I mean on, on as as far as Wes Anderson goes a close encounter with an alien being is just as ludicrous as what ended up happening. I mean, it's so yeah. surreal, right? So uh, I did think that that was kind of an interesting way to look at this. And and I don't think this could have been done, you know, without, uh, without the pandemic. I think this does, this does speak to the pandemic in a lot of ways in a very interesting way. Weird. Oh, way. I cr- completely agree with that. It, it had so many metaphors into it you know that you know the pandemic but also was the government behind you know the pandemic and <laughs> right questioning it and everything like mm-hmm. that so i i enjoyed it i thought that was very very well done there's it was there anything that was off-putting for you guys in this movie ashley we'll start with you is there anything that was like mm, and just that didn't work for me you know, at first the alien was a little off-putting just because I wasn't expecting it. But the more I thought about it, it's like, I don't know that they could have done the alien any other way. Like, looking back, I feel like it fits. Like, of of course the alien was that way. And then again, just not being fully prepared necessarily for the the style of movie. But I think the decisions that were made work within the context of the movie. And something else that I found was interesting, that even if like this style of movie doesn't, isn't my particular cup of tea. I found myself like, I'm looking forward to podcasting about this. Cause I know like we'll have interesting things to talk about. And I think that it's so good for us as film fans to go seek out these films. Like, even if you don't necessarily like love it, like, Oh, this sets my imagination on fire. It's my favorite film of all time. It's still valuable for us to be able to look at this. Like there are things to dig into here. There's meat, to talk about so um yeah i i thought that was 
something neat that regardless of whether I end up like liking his films or not, I, I was looking forward to talking about the experience of watching this movie. Yeah. The, uh, the alien won me over, uh, when, uh, Jason Schwartzman's character went to take a picture of him and then the alien posed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That was pretty funny. <laughs> posed with the asteroid, just stopped like, what he was doing and posed with the asteroid. Like, Go ahead, take my picture. Okay, thanks. And it like went on. I was like, I was like, oh man, this the alien knows what's what what's up. Yeah, maybe he was glad like government agents weren't trying to capture him. He wasn't being shot at. It's like, oh well, this is the time for me to be appreciated. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Matt. Was there anything about this movie that was off putting for you? I wouldn't say off putting. Off putting, uh, um, uh, kind of. You know, there was nothing that I found offensive. Um, I mean, it, it, it could be slow and pondering at, at, at bits, but uh, that was over. But the fact that most of the time there was usually a good performance being done by a, one or more of the actors kind of kept it from dragging too much. Um, as I said before, knowing people who like a lot of different types of movies, I know this is the sort of movie that I can only recommend to certain types of people. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people who, people who appreciate the artistry of filmmaking, people who maybe slightly like a little intellectual bit to it, um, you know, and, um, and there's certainly the people who would just, it's it's a very similar to why I love 2001, a space odyssey, but there's a very small number of people I actually recommend that movie to because, it's it's a movie made for a certain mindset and um so i think from that perspective that's why i if i was a reviewer if i was putting a one to ten rating on this i would have a big difficulty on it because i would feel obligated to to recommend it or not recommend it and it's one of those that i would just tell people if it interests you check it out because it is definitely worth checking out if it interests you i i i go so far as to say like even if you haven't experienced a movie like this, mm-hmm. uh, much like, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I was looking forward to covering this is because I knew that Ashley had not seen a Wes Anderson movie before. And I thought this was a perfect opportunity to do so because it is an interesting thing to talk about. And, and, and yeah, I don't know that I would recommend every, like I wouldn't recommend my parents see this. Uh, they, it just, they, it wouldn't connect with them at all. Um, and I'm not saying if you don't like this movie or you don't like a Wes Anderson movie, we can't be friends. Uh, but I will say that if you like Wes Anderson movies, or if you like this movie in particular, Mm -hmm. if you go see this movie, I think you're pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree completely with that. It's a a certain kind of mindset. It's a certain kind. It's set to a certain audience. And it's not meant for the folks who only watch a certain kind of film. If they don't understand the process of filmmaking or storytelling and such, this is not for them. If they want some, if they want only to see cars blowing up or people getting shot and everything, you know, this is not for them. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's just, yeah, it's a, yeah, there's too much. It's a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people go to the movies for certain escapist things and uh, boxes to be checked off. And this, I mean, I think filmmakers like Wes Anderson pride themselves on not checking off those boxes or checking off those boxes in, an, in, a, in a very different way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what about you, Mike? Was there anything in this that didn't work for you? No, I, I enjoyed it. Um, like I said earlier, it's not my favorite of the Wes Anderson films, but it's far from the worst. And can I ask you, like, what, what do you feel is, was there anything specifically missing? No, it just was for me, it was everything hit on all cylinders. There wasn't as much humor in this one as say like Grand Budapest Hotel or cause that was just wacky. And that was, you know, just like, oh my God, you know, this is, you know, and it's just interesting. And from the previews and everything, I was maybe expecting something a little more silly and everything, but it, it was played very seriously. And, you know, as you know, a Wes Anderson film can be in everything. And it was, it was really well done and I enjoyed it. That's, you know, and it probably will be on my list of favorite films of the year, but I don't think it's, you know, it's weird. You know, if we were Mm -hmm. doing our typical ratings, like the one out of five, probably would have a solid four at least maybe even four and a half, but there was just something I walked out of there like going, huh? Okay. You know, I'll definitely rewatch it. Uh, with Judy when we, you know, when it's streaming and such. So I'll def- it's definitely worth watching again. Most of his films are worth watching multiple times because you will see just something different each time you watch his films. And that's that's a guarantee. It's like, oh, my God, I missed it. Or, oh, my God, this actor was in it. I couldn't I completely missed that so-and-so was in this, you know. So it's it's pretty interesting. I, uh, I think that... Um... This movie is interesting. I, I appreciate the fact that it's that's under two hours. Mm-hmm. So um, and that's rare these days. And it didn't feel bloated. Um, in fact, the way that they snuck in a quote unquote deleted scene between uh, Jason Swartzman's character and his uh, his wife or his you know dead wife played by Margot Robbie, I thought was really inventive. Uh, the way they, and that was a kind of a nice, uh, juxtaposition of we'd seen Jason talk to Scarlet like over distance like that. And then we get the shot of, of Jason's character or Jason as Jason really mm-hmm. talking to the actress that's playing his wife in an alley, which is kind of a similar distance setting, like distance, uh, shot as well. Um, and, and that was a lot of fun. And there wasn't any time in this movie that I thought, oh, man, I, that character's not working for me. That performer's not working for me. This scene's not working for me. Um, because I, I, it jumped around so much, but not in an annoying way. Because every time it jumped to something, I was fascinated by who was on the screen and what they were talking about and what they were doing. The only thing I would say that took me out of the movie uh, was Adrian Brody's, like, freaking, like, chest body, like, Damn, he is built. <laughs> I mean, I was like, damn, dude, like, could you just like just take a day off from doing like, you know, <laughs> working out? Cause my God, you're like working that t shirt. And I know that that's not like, you know, any sort of enhanced effects or anything. No CGI there, folks. <laughs> oh, uh, so, um, yeah, I think overall it was a, a pretty good experience. Uh Ashley, do you do you, uh do you have any regrets watching this? 
No, I don't. I felt like it was very valuable for me. And it's what I like to think of it. It's always worth taking a chance on something new because you never know what's going to connect with you. I was not really interested in checking out Quentin Tarantino's filmography until people just kept recommending it to me. I watched one and then went on a binge where I watched all his films. So that's one I would not have discovered if I hadn't just taken the plunge and watch it. And then also maybe Wes Anderson doesn't connect with me now, but like five, 10 years might be the time when I rediscover it because famously I used to say that I hate Westerns until I started finding some that I connect with now. Like I, I feel like I can say I'm a fan of the Western genre. So um, it's, it's never not worth your time to take a risk with something that's a little outside your comfort zone or your normal realm of what you like to watch, because you never know what you might connect with either now or in the future. That's good. And I, and I also think as, as a couple of you already said, I think all of you have actually said it, that it's, I think it's important to support Yes. These American voices that are making these movies that are not huge blockbusters. Um, and yet there's something about them that I feel like they still are uh, valuable. Uh, they are still, uh, dare I say, even important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would hate it if we, you know, were in a in a time where these were not made, not being yeah. able to be made. Um, and I'm glad to see that this movie is in the theaters. I'm glad I saw it in the theater. Um, sure, this movie works on streaming. It's going to work, you know. It might even do really well on streaming, better than it has here, you know. Like most uh, of films do, though. Truthfully, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's nothing in here that screams big screen, and yet seeing it in the theater uh, just seemed to be a little bit more magical. It almost it it seemed, it definitely seemed like that's what he intended. Uh, he made this movie for the theater. Uh, I mean, for the movie theater, uh, as well as <laughs> the theater. True, yeah. both ways. <laughs> true, 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 Mikey. Yeah. So, um, uh, Mike, any uh, final thoughts on the movie? For me, it's like you said. It is great to support the independent filmmaker, even though it has you know some studio backing and everything. This it was refreshing. Not to go see a superhero movie, a shoot-up movie, uh, the world's in danger movie, and no offense against Dr. Jones, but, you know, having to, you know, go see a very elderly gentleman, you know, go out into the sunset, you know, for the last time and, you know, for an action-adventure movie. Because a lot of times it feels like when on the podcast, we either review action-adventure superhero movies or animated films and such. And so it's nice that we get to do something like this, you know, like doing a Wes Anderson or doing, you know, Quentin Tarantino or, you know, a more independent feel film and everything. And I'm hoping we can continue doing that and not stop doing that. It's part of the thing I love about doing this show with you guys is being able to talk to it and introducing Ashley to some really awesome material that she would never normally be exposed to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for my part too, I, one of the reasons why I really wanted to put this on our list of movies to review on, on the podcast this summer was because I hadn't seen a Wes Anderson movie in a while. And for whatever reason, I was like, well, 
if we do it on the show, then I'll be forced to watch it. So that's a good thing. Like I want to force myself to make time for movies like this because this summer has been really crowded, really mm-hmm. crowded with blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster. And and I, I this movie obviously doesn't stay didn't I mean none of us picked this to be in the top ten or whatever as far as box office movies. But I noticed that a lot of us were very interested in seeing this movie. Uh, Matt, I think you even mentioned when we did our box office preview, summer box office, that you were interested in seeing this movie as well. And and I take it that from your reaction that you don't regret that either. Oh, not at all. I have to admit, I've had a couple of movies so far this summer that I'd originally intended to see, but I decided not to. And and if we hadn't been recorded, I might have just been tempted to wait for home video on this one. So I'm grateful that I didn't. I'm grateful that we're recording this. So it got me in the theater and kind of broke the the superhero tedium, so to speak. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, you hear a lot of the big uh, directors out there. They uh, they complain about Marvel and other superhero movies. They, they don't think of them as true art, which I think is harsh and excessive. I certainly don't agree with that. But they imply that their existence somehow threatens the existence of movies like this and other, but they're all around us. I mean, they are, there are a ton of independent, there are uh, art house movies, there's there's all sorts of movies, you, you just have to look for them and don't expect, you know, TV commercials to bash you on the head about them. Um, so that's what I take from this is that uh, it, it's good to diversify your experience in a movie theater and that's what this provides very well. yeah absolutely and 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 to your point um i mean one of the things i i you know sometimes i i dread going to see these blockbusters and not to see them per se but i know that there's going to be 25 minutes of trailers before it and they're all going to be movies that i'm well aware of and they're going to be you know possibly contain spoilers or whatever i must admit when i see a movie like this I really look forward to seeing the trailers because I'm hoping that I'm going to see trailers for things coming that I normally wouldn't know about. And certainly before this movie, there was at least two movies that I was like, oh, that looks really interesting, including a new Ethan Cohen movie that I was like, I didn't know anything about. And I was like, I now I'm looking forward to seeing that. So I hope we can fit time in our review schedule to <laughs> to see that one as well, because it's been a while since I've seen a Cohen movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the last but, um, Bond Brothers. I don't even think we got to review it. Was Buster Scruggs? I think so. And now the Coens yeah. are kind of separate, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because I, I noticed just Ethan's name was on this new one, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know the Coppolas. Uh, this one was actually co-wrote. This movie, Asteroid City, was actually co-wrote with Roman Coppola. Um, but uh, Sophia Coppola has got a new movie coming out. Uh, Priscilla, Priscilla that I saw they, that, yeah, that, yep. that looked pretty interesting as well. So. And I think with the success of everything uh, everywhere all at once with A24, I think that put A24 in a in a bigger spot. So I do think that there is a a, a market for these movies now where that might not have been the case uh, a couple years ago. I mean, after the pandemic, it was really looking like all we were going to see at the theater was these uh, huge blockbusters. Um, final thing, I have a question for you, Ashley, because I, I mean, we all live in the Metro Atlanta area, so it's pretty easy for us to see art films. We have a few theaters that specialize in that. 
Um, how easy it, is it for you to see movies that are not on the beaten track, so to speak, or off the beaten track, I should say? Um, this That can be one of the frustrating things. Like, I was worried maybe that my city wouldn't get like asteroid city and that i would have to miss out on the podcast so thank you to manhattan kansas amc for having some showings of um asteroid city a little shout out there but yeah i've been sad before there have been some movies that i really wanted to see that just weren't available so um that that can be kind of hard too for sometimes accessing these movies can be a challenge yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were able to see it. I'm glad we were all able to see it. I'm glad we put it on the schedule and uh, yeah, hopefully there'll be, we'll make room for more movies like this. Um, and uh, yeah, thumbs up, right. For, uh, for this, for everybody. Oh, thumbs God, up. Yes. All nice. right. So if for some reason you're listening to this, even with spoilers and you haven't seen it, we recommend it strongly. And uh, not only this one, but more movies like this. Oh, so. very much so. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back and close out the show. Nope, we're going to be creative. Oh, that's right. We're going to be creative. That's right. We're going to be creative. <laughs> but is about to stop by. Yeah, speaking of independent filmmakers. Oh, exactly. That's why it worked out perfectly. I love that Star Trek does what adventure programs do. It's fun characters going on adventures, wearing colorful outfits, but it tries to be more than that. It tries to say something more about humanity and tries to encourage us to be better people. I love that it gives a really positive and really hopeful view of the future. I like that you never know what you get with Trek, from Captain Pike to Picard to Captain Proton. I like the Ferengi. Earth Station Trek, a show where we talk about Star Trek, from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. Welcome back to the Creative Outlet segment. And now we're here from with our friend Goff from Beer Nuts Productions. Welcome, Goff. How are you? Oh, very well, fellas. How, how are you lads traveling? We are doing fantastic. And we've got a new film, a long film, a very, I think. It's getting more, he's getting more and more epic. He is. He is. You know, he's getting more daring. He's getting more epic. It's hey, just, it's, it's getting just awesome. cute, like large cast members. Like, I mean, he's got like, yeah, he's getting more and more epic as we, as we go on here. Well, come on. The man was surrounded by how many beautiful women, you know, in this 16. movie? Yeah. So, 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 I mean, he's, he's working so hard, man. I mean, it's yeah, like, I it's, he has it so rough. You know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Eligible. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah well, listen, fellas, you might think that, uh, dealing with 16 ladies in their 20s is just uh, one big bowl of cherries. But let me tell you, it, uh, they, they can be demanding princesses, the lot of them. I'm only joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. They oh. were, they were a, a lovely group of actors to work with. They really were. They, uh, but yes, as you rightly point out, uh, Mr. Eligible is the new film. Uh, and it, essentially, it's a, a mock uh, reality dating show that I've decided to do. So... I've decided to make fun out of the reality TV show format, uh, predominantly uh, the dating show Bachelor style format. So I am Mr. Eligible. And as, as you have pointed out, I have 16 delightful ladies to uh, to choose from. Uh, so I won't be telling you who 
I choose in the end, of course. But um, well, you fellas know because you've seen the film. But um, uh, oh, I won't yes. spoil it. I definitely won't spoil it for everybody. But but I, I do indeed have uh, sixteen delightful ladies, and there's also obviously uh, the host and a producer that uh, tries to cause some mischief as well. And yeah, it's a forty-two uh, minute long epic. I, uh, I, 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 I mean, I was joking about how much hard work it is, but I would imagine doing research for this was probably the toughest part. I mean, like you had to watch, like, I don't know how many hours of bachelor type reality shows. Uh, is that something that, um, you personally, uh, enjoy? Uh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. And, uh, hard no. And to be quite honest, I watched zero minutes uh, of research. <laughs> I Because, uh, look, at the end of the day, uh, these shows are pretty much all stock standard and they all carry on a similar format of ridiculousness. And if you've watched the 30-second promos or advertisements over the years, you pretty much know how the show is going to go down. So to be quite honest, I've never actually sat through an entire episode of The Bachelor or Love Island or any of those shows. It was just sort of based on all the things that I've sort of picked up through advertisements. And funnily enough, uh, a good friend of mine who's a psychologist uh, who loves watching those shows on a psychology level, uh, she sent me a text message after she watched the film and she said, Goff, you've been lying all of these years. You have too <laughs> been watching these shows because you hit every single catchphrase and brief and nailed it completely. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe there's something in my subconscious there. They are uh, they are amazingly popular uh, in the states and 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 down under, I I, I guess as well. Um, one of those things that's uh, you know universally, I guess that we all have in common, even though it's not something I I I, I kick myself as to why. <laughs> no, people love them. You're quite right. I mean. There is actually, I'm, I'm not making this up, there's a podcast here in Australia of three women that sit around and discuss the Australian Bachelor. They they talk about every time an episode is aired, they record an episode of their podcast and they sit around and discuss, like, the, the TV show only goes for like an hour and they do like a 90-minute debrief on the one-hour show. The, the, it blows oh, my oh. mind that that is a thing, but... Yeah, people absolutely love it. But I personally think that that format is uh, just right to be made fun of. So that is exactly what I did. While I was absolutely. watching it the whole really time, well it was interesting because I kept on just the whole time I was watching it, I, was, I kept on thinking to myself, I am so glad I am not single anymore. I am so glad I'm not single anymore. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, well, I mean, uh, like I say, I, I had to, obviously, I... I get to pick one of these delightful ladies and they were all actually credit to them because uh you know they they're, they all have to act like horrible human beings as uh, people out there would probably gather you know to uh, to make it all funny and whatnot and uh but they were awesome all the uh the the 16 different ladies they absolutely crushed it because they're all horrible people but in different ways they all have different ways of being horrible people so uh and they're very nice people in real life so it's a bit of a stretch for some of them to play such terrible characters oh is very this, much so. is this the longest uh movie that you've done in time as well as is this the biggest cast you've worked with uh well 
I have the very first film I did was a feature film. So that was a 90 minute feature. But besides that, then yes, this is the longest film I've done time wise. And there were more people in the wedding film that I did. So I had 45 cast members for the wedding film. But the difference was, was uh, most of them were extras or they just had one or two words. Whereas in this one, there was a lot of rehearsal time because everybody had a lot to say. So uh, this was much bigger uh, and a lot more preparation than the wedding film because of that exact thing. I had to rehearse everybody and there were big group scenes, as you fellas saw, that everybody had to be doing stuff. So, yeah, th this was a lot more time consuming in regards to uh, casting it and getting the right cast because I needed a diverse group of ladies, uh, attractive women, but they all had to be diverse in their own way. So it took a long time to cast and then obviously the rehearsal time and prep time was, was quite long as well. So, yeah, this, this was definitely the most challenging film I've ever done. There's no doubt about that. Wow. And, yeah, I love those uh, those those uh, sort of trademark scenes that you have now. They, they're definitely um, something that I, I associate you with, you with your shorts where you have scenes that you don't have cuts in them. They're just dialogue scenes between two people. And it goes on for several minutes. Um, that's a lot of material for both you and or both anybody who's on the screen at the same time has to get right. So I can imagine if one if one line is blown five minutes in, you got to do it all over again. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of cuts and edits because I feel that it takes you out of the, the comedy. I mean, I understand if it's an action genre film, I get it. You want it to be fast paced and bang, bang, bang. But with sort of my stuff, like you say, I, I like the audience to decide what they want to focus on. So you put everything into the shot and then the audience can sort of make up their mind. And also it means, obviously, as you rightly say, I mean, you're, you have to be acting even when you're not talking. Your face has got to be doing the right expressions and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, th there is a lot of pressure on the actors uh, to make sure that they absolutely uh, nail it for me so that we can uh, we can move on because, we don't have a lot of time to film uh, these masterpieces. <laughs> How long did this one take for you to do? Well, well, yeah, no, it was a day shoot, so we got all that done in one day. Really? Filming. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because obviously we had to get uh, the cocktail party venue, which wasn't cheap to uh, hire, so we had to uh, and obviously dress it and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we, we did all of that in one day. So the studio, because obviously as people would probably gather, we had some studio scenes, uh, so we – did our own little studio in the corner of the cocktail party room, filmed them first and then filmed all the cocktail party, you know, ripped that down and then filmed all the cocktail party stuff after that. So, uh, so yeah, it was all done in the day at the same location. That was amazing. It, it moved very smoothly and, you know, it's interesting because I can tell your maturity. I'm using that very loosely, by the way, as a filmmaker, you could see how you've grown since we've, even from when we first met you, you, it's been like two, two, three years now that we've been in touch that, you know, your films are getting better and better each time. And, you know, I love what you're doing, man. Oh, th thank you very much. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's uh, obviously, um, you know, the, the goal is to make uh, like a diverse lot of entertainment and making sure that, uh, it always stays a little bit different to the last project I did. I don't want people to ever get bored with what I do. So, yeah, I always like to try and keep it fresh and original and different. And, uh, 
with, with this one, obviously, as I've, I've said to you lads before, when it comes to writing the scripts, you know, it takes, no one tells me the length of time something has to be. So with this one, there were just so many jokes that, that were available to me that I just kept writing and writing where eventually I had to sort of stop myself because otherwise it was just going to be too big and too long and I wouldn't have been able to make it. But um, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that very much. I am curious though, fellas, after watching the film and obviously you lads know who I picked at the end, I'm just wondering out of those 16 ladies, I mean, who would you two have picked, uh, you know, after seeing their personalities and whatnot? Did uh, did one of them stand out to you and you would uh, fly over to Australia and uh, happily uh, happily marry the, the, the young lady? Um, two of them for me, but my wife yeah. doesn't listen, so I don't mind saying that, so it's okay. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, um, I love the... I didn't like her attitude, but I liked the character, the uh, one who was the feminist. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Chris, Christy was her character name. Yes, the redhead, the, Christy. The redhead. She was, she was really cute. But I also liked the interpreter. Oh yes. Yeah, well, I was kind of, I was kind of rooting for the, the rooting interpreter for as well. I thought she was that was going to be a nice swerve, like uh, that she would be the one, but because uh, we never saw them, and we never saw her actually talk directly to to you so mm -hmm. i thought that was uh that would have been a nice swerve but i thought well, so yeah i, I got to give a lot of credit to tegan who played the interpreter because obviously she'd had no experience in the deaf community at all so mm -hmm. uh, i did extra wow. rehearsal time with her and uh, ashley who was the deaf actress she did a bit of extra rehearsal time with tegan as well and she really put in because it was a there was probably the most trickiest out of all the roles to play it was probably the trickiest to play and she absolutely crushed it. I thought she was amazing. And it was the first time I've ever worked with her. And I would absolutely hire her for anything going forward. She was a, she's a lovely human being and she's a very talented actor. So, yeah, so uh, all credit to Tegan. I think uh, good choices, fellas. I, I like it. it. It was interesting, but I loved, loved the scene. And this is not spoiling anything. When they were introducing you to the ladies, describing you. And it was like, oh, but he's blind. Oh, and they all got up. But he's hung like a, a bull. Oh, okay. You know? like, so was, they were all like, okay, that's so reality TV right there. And, and all of those things were true. I just thought I should point that out. Oh, so I, I figured it was all the truth for you, you know. So, you know. Sorry, we'll take your word for that. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask him to prove it, so it's okay. There we go. <laughs> Well, you, you fellas are on YouTube now, are you not? So, I mean, yes, we've got to, got to be careful. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Now that we're up on YouTube, it's like, you know, there's a whole new world of restrictions on us. So we've got to be really <laughs> careful. Do you have to well, keep that in mind when you're making your movies as well? Not at all, no. So uh, feel, I was going to say, you don't feel like, feel like you're restricted at all. No, no, no. And that's there's a few reasons why I do what I do, and that is one of them. So the reason why everything is just on the Beer Nuts Productions website is so that I'm 100% independent and I can make what I want, how I want, when I want, and with who I want. I mean, there's no third-party interference. The only third-party interference, I suppose, would be PayPal, who I have to go through to uh, to get the downloads. But that's the only person who uh, does any kind of interference is PayPal. Besides them, 
uh, I'm 100% independent. So, yeah, all my content is what I want to do and how I want to do it. So if people enjoy it, then that's great and that's all on me. And if people don't enjoy it, well, that's all on me as well. So uh, you've got to take the uh, the good and the bad, I suppose. But, yeah, I have no restrictions, which is great. It means I can do the jokes that I want to do, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. And you don't have to worry about any kind of board, you know, reviewing your films or anything <laughs> like that. So that's, I love that and everything. So well, I'm sure, I'm sure you fellas have heard of stories, you know, where a Hollywood studio has stepped in and ruined what would have been the most amazing piece of cinema because of some stupid asinine reason. And you're like, why, why, why? So that will never happen with me because uh, I'm not a big corporate sellout. So I just, uh, I do what I do and uh, people will hit up the Beanuts Productions website and download and hopefully keep enjoying what I'm doing. And that way I can continue to make movies. Damn straight, my friend. He's not a corporate sellout yet. You're not yet. Well, wait till the dump truck of money pulls up in my driveway and then I might, I might have a bit of a thing. (laughs) So real quick, how can people find you? Absolutely. So like I say, yeah, beernutsproductions.com is your one-stop shop. Obviously, I'm on all the social medias, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube with promotional stuff. So you can like and subscribe and find out what's happening. But if you actually want to watch all the good stuff, then yeah, beernutsproductions.com is the only place to go. Awesome, my friend. Until next time, Goff, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, can't see who you, can't on, wait to see who you're targeting next. I'm almost worried. Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yes, there'll be another another mockumentary ripping uh, ripping it over another industry. But you lads will just have to wait to find out who. You yeah. know, he's going to eventually take on podcasting. I, I know. I, I know. know. <laughs> oh no, we just gave him a new idea. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And we're inviting you to join us as we delve into the dawn of the DC. We'll be reviewing new titles such as The Unstoppable Doom Patrol, Shazam, Green Lantern, Titans, Justice Society of America, and more. We'll also be reviewing DC Television's final season of The Flash, Titans, and Doom Patrol. Join us every week on the Earth Station DCU Podcast, part of the ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for being here tonight. Of course, Ashley, you're the one who we indoctrinated tonight, which is really awesome. Yes, thank you. I I really appreciate um, podcasts like this that motivate me to go out and see something new and try something a little bit different. That's awesome. It's It's nice when we can do stuff like that and be able to you know, show you the ropes and hopefully people at home. We also, you know, you found out we were going to be reviewing this. You guys went to go see this also. So, you know, it's hopefully we're inspiring people to go see more. Or the reason so, that it did so well box office. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yes. Influencers <laughs> were influencers. Love us. Love us. 
You know, it's pretty awesome. Just, just the four of us, like, tripled the box office. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Anything you want to shout out about tonight, Ashley? Um, yeah, just encourage people, like, don't be embarrassed if you haven't seen a movie like this before. There's no time, like, now to just embrace it and go out and discover. Oh, very much so. Agree completely. And Mr. Matt, thank you so much, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed this talk. And congratulations. I hear you and your wife have a new podcast coming. Oh, ooh. well, yeah, we, we would maybe move into a podcast. We're just, it's right now a Facebook page where we're sort of just documenting our television viewing. Podcast, podcast, <laughs> podcast. Uh, uh, no yeah, peer pressure or anything. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have to figure out a way to, because it's, it's a different experience in the podcast. So, yeah, we'll have to figure out a way to, to do that. I think it would be a great, great way to experience it. I think it would be too. And you and Elaine are great anyway. So it's, you know, very awesome. Thank so, you. <laughs> anything you want to shout out about, sir? Yeah, I do. Uh, yesterday afternoon, um, talk about kind of going outside of your comfort zone to seeing something. Uh, we went to uh, a theater, a small theater um, for a live show. It was a drag version of the Golden Girls called Golden Gals. Oh, that's awesome. That is and awesome. It, and it was in a small theater called the Outfront Theater. Uh, it was like in the West Midtown area. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a long drive from us, uh, living in Smyrna. And um, and uh, it was a, a theater that specializes in the uh, LGBTQ plus community. Um, and uh, it was just such a, such a, a wonderful atmosphere, hilarious show. Just they cracked us up and we did the meet and greet and the whole VIP thing and it was a blast. Um, so, awesome. and not uh, specifically, I'd recommend people check out the uh, Outfront Theater or any small theater in your area because talk about not just movies. There's all these amazing shows and concerts and comedy and all sorts of experiences that that are out there. Um, and these people need our support. I mean, they're they're small, you know, much smaller than these big mega companies that do the theaters, AMC or Regal or whatever. Um, so I highly recommend uh, you check something out. It's it's really a really great experience. That's awesome. And Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, sir. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? I do. I had the uh, pleasure of joining our good uh, friend uh, Jay Shearer on a couple of podcasts uh, last week. Uh, we uh, talked, uh, uh, we were on one podcast called The Story Geeks, of course, uh, which uh, he now uh, co-hosts, I think, with Vash Sky. And it's on like a, uh, oh man, I wish I could name the name of it, but um it's uh it's on a, a different network now, but it's a YouTube video. Uh and uh, it's on Orange Grove fifty five. So if you go to uh YouTube and put in Orange Grove fifty five, uh that'll pop up. Um so we got to talk all about the original uh Raiders of Lost Ark, the first movie that started it all with Indiana Jones. And then uh Jay and I did a separate recording for how stories work. His podcast, How Stories Work, you can look that up on YouTube as well. We'll have links in the show notes. Uh, but we broke down the, the the screenplay and talked all about all about the original screenplay for Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's weird, so weird for me to call it that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and how it influenced us as storytellers, how what it has to say about storytelling and all that kind of stuff, and and why it made such an impact on our lives. And 
and it was really great discussion. And of course we're getting uh, ready to, uh, to embark on an, on a new Indian adventure, Indiana adventure. Um, uh, I guess, speaking of indie films, uh, we've got, (laughs) we've got one coming up this weekend. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So if you're, if you want to talk about or hear us talk about the original Raiders of Lost Ark, uh, check out those podcasts. Fantastic. Fantastic, sir. Uh, my shout out is going to our other show, Earth Station Who. I wanted to give a shout out that the new episode is us recorded live at Concasterburris in Alabama. We uh, got in front of the whole ballroom and it was a packed audience. And Mary and I were joined by Matthew Kressel and we got to talk all about the RTD era of Doctor Who coming up, the new era, talking about the 60th anniversary, Doctor 14, Doctor 15, some of the spinoffs. And it was just fun being able to interact with a live audience again. And it's it's always great doing that. And thank you to the crew over at Con K. You guys will be missed. And hopefully, if you guys ever decide to come back, we will be there waiting on the doorstep for you guys. So... We will definitely be glad to do that. So check it out, earthstationwho.com. Episode 326 is now available. So find it wherever media is available because podcasts are awesome. So it's awesome. And as always, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. Also remember, we couldn't do this without you. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our T Public store and get some cool ESO Network swag. Also remember, if you want to listen to our shows before the rest of the world, why not join the ESO Patreon? For as little as a dollar a month, we want, you know, you can help support us and, you know, get some really cool stuff. And you know what? Any little bit helps, and we do appreciate it. Appreciate it so much. We want to thank our couple of patrons. Let's thank Jen Adams, Eric Paul Johnson, Alan O.W. Barnes, and Lydia, this is the one I messed up last time, Kendall Cole. (laughs) so it's awesome being able to do that so definitely thank you guys for help supporting us all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash eso network we also want to hear from you so please write us anytime at feedback at earthstation1.com remember you can also find earthstation1 wherever fine podcasts are found and now you know what we're up on youtube and our numbers are growing thank you we actually got a lot of people viewing the flash episode that we did last week. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everyone who watched us and a couple of people left feedback, gave us thumbs up. It's awesome. So as long wherever you're listening to this or viewing us like, and subscribe, that's the best way we can do it. And that's how our numbers grow and everything. So it's pretty awesome. And watch the movie. Exactly. Probably they did. (laughs) Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us, please. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, of course, Ashley Pauls and Mr. Matt Sweatman. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace, and we are done. And let's go out to New Mexico, folks, because I want to go find an asteroid. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. 
Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.